0: So super excited, you know, with the guests that we have today, again, Startup Nation. I mean, there seems to be a machine there of incredible founders that is pumping one after the other. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Amir Eli Chai. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you?
0: Very well. So you were born in Israel, in Tel Aviv there. So how was life growing up there?
1: Oh, I think Israel is the probably most amazing place on earth. The co- amazing combination between uh, good people, good weather, good food, uh, all together, and uh, obviously the great ecosystem for companies like Carbine to succeed. So overall, I would give it the grade of a 9.5.
0: I would say. Very cool. And and in terms of you growing up, did you have anyone in the family, or or how did you get that perhaps? Uh, drive or that bug around entrepreneurship would that develop later on or it was something that it was there in the back door always uh nurturing
1: no actually it's a good question actually my two uh two of my parents are full-time workers in a very kind of well-organized big corporate. my mom in the healthcare space my father in the aerospace industry, nor entrepreneurship at all. I think the biggest investment that they ever did is when they bought, bought their home. And since they're, you know, working on their savings, <laughs> uh, nothing really behind that. Probably something raised from the army, probably something raised from the, my personal experience and things that I've been through, but nothing came from a personal background, I would say.
0: So then going to the army. Because the army is a pretty big deal in Israel. I mean, every everyone has to go through it. So, in your case, you know, I find that, you know, being an entrepreneur and doing startups is like going to war, right? It's a, it's just kind of like the same thing. You know, it's in a different way. Uh, you don't probably get hurt physically, you know. Let's say, but it's still a painful, you know, full of emotions, you know, type of roller coaster. So, I guess, how was that experience for you of doing the army, and and you know, what were some of those traits that that it gave you now you know that you are an entrepreneur.
1: oh this is a great question. So I think in general, you know, being in the army when you are 18, uh you know, instead of going to college or university, you basically found yourself in a very kind of a strict organization with certain rules that you have to accommodate, which is basically probably making the Israelis, I would say, a bit more mature earlier earlier than others and put you in front of uh, dilemmas and Situation that you're not really supposed to experience when you're 18 years old, if you're looking at the overall kind of world and what people in our age uh, used to do. So, of course, for everything, you have pros and cons. So, I would say the advantage of being in the army is basically it's kind of uh, uh, show you, you know, how to treat uh, kind of uh, things that are related to work under pressure, how to, you know, being well in in kind of a big teams where you have to get along with people that you don't know, how to motivate people, how to motivate your subordinates, work under pressure, putting red lines. But if you're thinking about those things, are very similar to things that you're going to do as an entrepreneur, as a CEO within your internal small organization that is like your kind of own small unit within the army. So, of course, there is nothing to to really compare between the two. And as you said, there is no, you're not risking your life. But being an entrepreneur, being a, a founder with another two or three founders that are working with you, this is kind of your small unit or small unit in the army that is now, as you said, going into the world and going, going into a, a fight with big giants to tackle something. And if you have those skills coming from the army, So I think it's increasing your situation to be more successful. Not always, of course, but it's absolutely giving you kind of a lesson that you won't be able to learn anywhere else.
0: So in your case, after the army, you pack the bags and you land in New York City. So how how did that happen?
1: Oh, this is uh, was an absolutely kind of uh, uh, I would say a coincidence. Actually, in in my specific unit where I was, we had uh, different agencies and entities that came to us to pitch us what we can do after the army. So while a lot of my friends went to, you know, very long trip in Latin America, you know, did the one year uh, uh, after the army, losing their mind somewhere, drinking and doing other stuff. I don't know why, but I had a girlfriend at the end of the army. And basically we had a vision kind of to move and live in New York. Um, So in, in one of the pitches that we received from one of the three-letter agencies of the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, at the end of the presentation, I came and said, listen, this is very interesting. I would love to do it. So they say, okay, we have, a, we have an opening in Ethiopia, in Egypt, in many uh, like different places. I said, no, 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 you, don't. you, you got it wrong. Uh, I will do it only in one place. I will do it in New York if you want. I uh, said, so you know what, let me come back to you, because it was very unusual, because on the one hand, it's very attractive and sexy to live in New York. On the other hand, when you're finishing the Army, all what you want is to save money. And obviously, New York is not a great place to save money in. So I found myself here. Anyway, Like uh, I, I finished the Army 10 days after I started a course for like a few months and then moved to live in New York. Uh, celebrate my, I think, 23rd, 24th birthday here in New York. An amazing, amazing experience. where basically opened my mind to a new, new world, different opportunities, new kind of people. And uh, the rest is
0: history. So how would you say, because I mean, it's interesting because I also moved to New York City at the same age as you did. uh, And for me, it was an eye opener. I mean, I'm sure that for you being surrounded by the best of every place in the world that you can think of in terms of like intellect, uh, ambition and all of that, I'm sure that that played quite an influence as well on you and and the way that you're thinking about the future that you want to live into. So, so tell us about this.
1: Yeah, I think it's starting from, you know, the smallest thing that you can imagine. First of all, the transition from being in the army, you know, in a, such a kind of, uh, I would not say boring because it's not boring, but it's very kind of, uh, you know, structured place where there is no too much space to think out of the box. You have certain rules you have to accommodate. Suddenly you'll find yourself without your family, without your friends, being kind, kind of uh, alone in front of the world, in in the biggest city in the world in terms of, you know, all what you just mentioned, you know, talent, business, traffic, you know, people are running everywhere, buildings. you're, You're kind of asking yourself, okay, what is my role in this huge concrete jungle? And you basically, your brain starts to think, you know, what can I do? How can I leverage this place? How can I do more? Uh, and I remind you that at that time I worked for uh, like one of the agencies at the Ministry of, of Defense. So it's not that I was uh, 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 basically jobless or something. I had enough things to do, but basically you're here, you're meeting people, um, and you're saying, okay, uh, this is an amazing place. I have an opportunity. How can I take that to the next step? And basically, it's absolutely opened my eyes for uh, for what other things you can do in this world, which is, uh, you know, not the thing that you used to see in Israel, which is pretty small and, and kind of a uh, uh, limited place, I would say.
0: And I guess it opened your eyes towards becoming potentially a lawyer, at least study law. So, I mean, what, what were you thinking? I mean, from recovering lawyer to recovering lawyer, I mean, what, what was going through your head to to study law?
1: No, this is a the good question. So basically, I started here at my first company in New York, and then it was kind of a virtual investment banking firm, and at that time, I used to work for certain people who told me that you know you have to get kind of a degree and you have to uh you know learn something so i I after one and a half years, I went back to Israel. I graduated from law and business school, and I immediately realized and I knew from the beginning that law uh, that I'm not going to be a lawyer, I never practice. But I think that law in general is kind of the new BA, right? It's like that, like the basic that you need to know. And it's relevant for everything that you're doing, no matter if you are a CEO, CFO, salesperson, uh, working in product management or whatever. At the end of the day, you know, legal understandings in general, it's the basic in any business that you will do. And this is why I did it. As I said, I never practiced, but it was a great kind of uh, uh, knowledge uh, to being captured, and this is why I did
0: it. Very cool. No, I yeah. agree with you. I mean, definitely gives you a base, and especially if you want to be making deals, uh, and you you need to interpret what the hell is on the on paper, so uh, mm-hmm. because it can come up by you later on. So I guess uh, after you finish, you got your law degree. You know, you really started getting your feet wet. You know, into into deal making. You know, you talked about you know your your previous uh, business, the iBanking, but Essentially, that that is the segue into starting your business now. So tell us about uh, Carbine. So how you came up with the idea or how it came knocking, you know, as Richard Branson says, is that ideas are like buses and it's all about getting into the right one, uh, into the right idea, into the right bus. So how did the idea of uh, Carbine really uh, go in front of you and and what was that point or that uh, inflection? Where it pushed you over the edge to say, you know what, I'm gonna grab this and I'm going to execute and bring it to life.
1: Yeah, so I think uh before I'm jumping into carbine, it's worth to mention that before carbine, even during my school, like university and law school, I, I was involved in the startup ecosystem in Israel a lot, from you know, from my own thing with Sky Project to helping companies to raise funds. We help companies to raise tens of millions of dollars. I'm taking myself into kind of building a small investment vehicle into cybersecurity solutions, automotive vehicles, et cetera. So basically, I probably reviewed myself and with my team at the time something like 1,000, 1,500, I don't know the exact number uh, of opportunities and basically I, I i realized kind of uh, and i had a good understanding what's the customer like what's the industry needs i had a good understanding of you know what are the verticals that are growing etc for example we chose to focus on cybersecurity back in 2010 where we had in israel i think 100 good companies today in these days you you probably can find in israel 5 to i don't know 600 companies in the cybersecurity space so i think we've been recognizing those kind of uh, trends in the early stage, and this is what kind of prepared me to to start my, my 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 own venture as you know always starting with a personal experience so basically I've been robbed in uh, Tel Aviv beach it was uh, like a super weird story i was uh seven p m gordon beach we were da- i was dating with a girl and 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 we've been uh, uh robbed by uh, um three people uh it's like seven p m as i said in in the middle of Tel Aviv and when the, when this case happened, I, I tried to call emergency services to report about you know what what ha- what was happening, and the call takers start to ask me for my name, where am I, what's happening around me, and and, and I thought to myself afterwards, how come that still in the 21st century, when we are dialing emergency services, we need to deliver so much information, and how come that you know when you're ordering uh, Uber, the the, the the driver know your name. Where are you, uh, your credit card number, and, and basically anything about you? It does not make sense. And so how are making data accessible for emergency services worldwide? And this is how I started. And basically, I did my research. I was never a 911 call taker before. I never was involved in any voluntarily kind of organization to help uh, emergency cases, but I recognized a need. And what I did immediately is to validate if this need is not like a one-time event that happened to me, and if it's something that is happening worldwide, if there is a need for it. And pretty soon, I would say a few months, I realized that you know, this market has not been changed since that, you know, Bell invented the phone, basically. And there is a need for a change. Uh, I couldn't imagine that carbon will grow to what it is now, but you know, overall, I think it's a combination of a need that I've personally experienced, um, a big market that is seeking for a change, which is not sexy enough for many, many companies to get into, okay, which is represent a huge opportunity for growth and for being a very, very big company. And those kind of things and feedbacks that I get from the industry basically force me to start this company.
0: So how long did it take from the moment that you were robbed at the beach to the moment that the company was up and running?
1: So let's say I'm, I don't understand the exact date where, when I've been robbed. I think it was like at the end of uh, 2013. You know, I had it in my mind and I did my research. I was still a student. In July 2014, we have basically, we, we decided to you know, move forward and to incorporate this as a real company. And something like seven to eight months after, we received our first funding and and started the company.
0: That's amazing. So so what ended up being the business model of Carbine? What is Carbine today? How do you guys make money?
1: Sure. So currently, the company uh, is a bit like 130 people uh, working from four offices worldwide and providing advanced ecosystem for government to be able to interact in a better way with their citizens okay? in emergency and non-emergency events. Uh, the company is giving services to 400 million people and basically providing a software as a service for government can be implemented at no time and to convert any incoming call into emergency number to a one with location services, video images, medical information, and a bunch, bunch of other stuff without the need for the citizen to download the, any application and without the need for the government to replace anything of their current ecosystem, so this is in a very, very, very high level what we are doing.
0: So you probably must have heard of many, many crazy emergency calls and experiences. So I mean, what is the typical, you know, emergency or what is the typical experience that that you know you guys facilitate or provide or or are exposed to?
1: Wow, uh, our system analyzes something like. 1.3 million calls per day. Wow. Uh, we are the biggest, richest, rich data provider worldwide. We've provided in 2020, as you can assume, COVID was an uh, emergency year, I would yep. say. We've provided 155 million locations to emergency services around the world, 1.3 million minutes. Um, so it's really, really, really different. And uh, we, we saw anything from, you know, emergency medical uh, reports to you know, car accidents to good cases like I mean, ladies that are delivering babies with carbine solution, uh, bank robberies, you name know, it, basically everything passed through our platform. So good and bad cases. But I think in most of the cases, our solution was really helpful and really helped the people in distress to get a better response.
0: So, how how much money have you guys raised to date, Amir?
1: Close to 60 million.
0: And you were mentioning that the first tranche, you know, came in pretty quickly. No, I mean, how how would you say that the progression of getting that money in has 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 evolved over time? I mean, you had some experience on the investment banking side, doing some deal work uh, in the past. So perhaps you knew how to how to get it done, but But it seems that it was very early on when you were able to get money right away. So so how has that experience of being exposed to it from, you know, more like the dealmaker side or the investment banker side to actually you being the operator and you needing that money in order to execute?
1: I think it's a very, very good question. And it's really, there is not like, a, it's not black and white, I think. It's not like something that I can tell you. you, you need to do A, B, and C, and you will be a successful fundraiser or not. But I think there is kind of a basic elements that every entrepreneur uh, needs to make sure that, you know, when he's coming to raise funds, those are the key elements, especially in the seed rounds, like we have no track record. You're not a second timer. It's the first time that you are building a company. What is important is the team that's you know with you. Who are the people? What are the skills that you are bringing? Why you are unique? Obviously, the idea, okay, that should be making sense uh, at the level that you know they invest. Although the people that you are pitching this idea to probably seeing many, many, many deals before or on a daily basis, so they need to be convinced that there is something unique here. You need to do your your, uh, market research and to make sure that your total available market is big enough and have enough kind of place for you to grow into, okay? And basically, those are the key elements in a seed round. Strong team, you know, strong idea. And the, the big market to play in, because at the beginning is kind of a bet. The investors don't know you. If you have those three elements, it's mostly going into the strong team. If you have those elements, you will be in a higher chances to uh, to to raise money.
0: So, how have you seen, for example, those expectations shift or um, perhaps change as you continue to? to execute? Because you've done your seed, you've done your A, you've done your B. So how have you seen those expectations and perhaps the need or what you wanted from the investor for your business? Because it's not the same network that you're looking after at a seed round versus maybe the network that you're looking more at a series B where it's all about expansion and growth. So so tell us about this a little bit.
1: Yes, a very, very good question. So there is a, a long answer here. So first of all, I think a network is building a network, and I will explain. You are surrounding yourself with certain people, with certain investors, okay, that each one of them knows certain people and certain investors, that each one of them knows certain people and certain investors, and you are coming into a place that with the two phone calls, you can probably reach to any funds or to any person that you want to invest in your company. So my first kind of lesson is basically you need to surround yourself with people that are strong enough in your industry to be able to grow your network with their own network, right? So you know 10 people, those 10 people know 10 people, so it's 100 people. Those 100 people in each 10, you know 10 people each, so it's 1,000 people. So this is my first thing. So in the seed, you're surrounding yourself with X amount of people. If it's funds, is obviously, even bigger because they have teams and they have people working from them, blah blah blah. So, those they know 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. So, one related to the staging and you know what you're looking for, etc. So, there is kind of the key, I would say, metrics or uh, what you know investors are looking for at round and like at seed A, B, etc. So, seed, team, idea, or prototype and strong and big market, right? Around A, you know, like early adapters, few logos, you know, like the beginning of revenues, understanding the market, optimizing product market fit, And basically, Bree is kind of like, you're getting into the growth phase. You're growing from 1 million to 5 million in recurring revenues. You have a product market feed. And in the B round, you're basically raising this fund that will take you to the next stage, which is basically growth phase where you can purely say, I mean, a product market fit, all, I, all, all what I need now is to put more fuel into the engine in order to scale my business and do 10x, because I know I I, I found kind of the formula to make this business a success, right? So this is kind of the, the traditional, I would say, path. Besides that, I would say that there is other elements that you cannot really... Uh, predict, which is uh, a bit of luck as well. Uh, I can tell you that I know companies that was an amazing trajectory before COVID and then COVID hit and they were you know, totally collapsed. And I know companies that were struggling a lot before COVID and then COVID came and they are exploding, right? And and, and everything was like amazing for them. So I think luck, I would not say that this is like 50% of, us, of your success to, to be successful uh, or, or chance to be successful, but I would say that um, you need to have a bit of luck in this journey which is always important and take all those kind of elements into a consideration and if you understand those elements i think again you're increasing your chances to win this war which is absolutely not an easy one
0: yeah and definitely luck preparation meets opportunity so you know it's a you know people people create their own luck it's not like things all of a sudden fall on your plate so but but i'm right there with you so I guess in in your guys' case in in Carbine, uh, let's say, you know, I mean, you were alluding to it. I mean, we're coming out of of what has been an emergency year. You know, I'm sure that, you know, perhaps a, an emergency year is something that propels and influences positively, you know, a service like, like Carbine. I mean, how would you say that this whole COVID, you know, has impacted, you know, the business?
1: Yeah, so let's start from the end. In COVID, like in 2020, from March to December uh, 2020, carbine grew by 360%. And this is what led our last round, you know, like 25 million. And it was a pretty successful year. But on the other hand, I would say that, again, it's not like that we were sitting down and hoping for good when COVID started. We had to take some tough decisions that, you know, influence cross-company, uh, such as an example, um, we decided. I decided, as a CEO of the company, not to let people go home um, at all. Uh, we didn't know how governments will react. We didn't know, you know, if governments will be able to pay. We didn't know if, you know, how governments who used to meet you face to face before COVID will are willing to do deals now remotely. Is it possible? Yes. No. Can they sign an electronic signature and sign as we are all used to do? Is it something that is valid for them? So we were in a very big uncertainty. So I decided to cut salaries for the entire company, but not let anyone go. And basically, we gave equity for this kind of a salary loss for, uh, for March to July. And in July, we saw that everything is basically, you know, exploding kind of, and we are delivering and things are going in a very, very good way. So all in all, I think we did very well, and uh, and then we decided to return everything to normal and actually, you know, expanding the teams and growing. So um, you know, we were built, we've been lucky enough to be in in the in the right, I would say, industry uh, with the right solutions. But again, we did our, the, the necessary the necessary uh, uh, steps in order to make sure that we are adjusting ourselves to this to this uh, new environment.
0: Absolutely. So. So then talking about new environments and talking about the future, let's say you go to sleep tonight, Amir, and you wake up in a world where the vision of carbine is fully realized. What's that, what does that world look like?
1: Wow, this is a good question. So I think uh, moving forward, what we want to do is to connect basically, you know, the world into public safety and to connect the public safety into the world and to make sure that all this kind of chain is, is fully singing together. Right, so we truly believe that there is no reason why sensors and IoT and wearables and city cameras and and you know you name it will be able to detect emergencies before someone human, uh, dial nine one one. So anything that can be deliver can deliver information. Anything that can communicate in case of emergency should be connected to emergency services. But it's not enough. To connect them to the emergency services because you really need to create what we call the, the, the next generation queue, right? The next generation queue is that currently in 911, when you are dialing, there is a human sitting, pick up the phone saying, 911, what is the location of the emergency? What is the emergency? And start to ask you many questions. So technologies like NLP, conscription, uh, can really ease the way that those call takers are doing their job. The ability to provide sensors information into the systems without the human needs to tap into anything, any kind of information can ease a, a lot the ways those call takers are making their uh, uh, job. This, this job is very stressful. There is a, a lot of human errors, a lot of human mistakes. They're working under pressure. So if you can you know, improve that system and, and make it more efficient, with computer vision, artificial intelligence, and, and other technologies that are out there and serving other industries, so I believe that we will be able to create a system that is almost, I would say, fully automatic, and and basically minimize human mistakes, increasing efficiency and simplifying, you know, the 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 access of humans uh, into uh, emergency response. So this is what we would like to do there is a long way to make it uh, to make it happen but I think we are doing the right steps in order to uh, make it work
0: I love it so Amir let's say that that I'm giving you the possibility to get into a time machine and I'm taking you back in time and I'm taking you to that moment where you were coming out of law school you were starting to see you know a little of de- deal making here and there and being involved with startups and you know, right before launching your business, you know, you have, let's say you have the opportunity of having you, your younger self, Amir, not only being there, but but listening to what you have to say. Well, the now, the now Amir that has gone through all this stuff with with Carbine. If you could go back in time and give that younger Amir one piece of advice, what would that be and why before launching a company based on what you know now?
1: Well. Wow. Uh, I have uh, a lot of lessons that I learned (laughs) throughout uh, the recent uh, six years. Um, I I would say that uh, probably, you know, don't compromise on a very, very, very good people. Uh, I think this is the key. And one smart person once told me that, you know, every successful company needs two things. Cash flow and good people. So I think I would say do not compromise uh, on on the talents that you're hiring because at the end of the day, this is, if we are going to the analogy uh, that you've started this conversation with, this is your uh, friends that are going to run with you into this war and you need to surround yourself with the best people. So I think uh, investing time and finding the most uh, uh, talented people that you can find uh, in order to be better prepared for the, you know, uh, unknown, this is something that I would uh, uh, advise my my child when he will build his uh, his company.
0: I love it. I love it. So Amir, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: I think uh, either through LinkedIn, Instagram, or through my email, which is Amir A M I R at carbine911 dot com. Uh, happy to speak with everybody.
0: Amazing, Amir. Well, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,